Welcome into another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brumley. And in today's episode, I'm chatting with a gentleman by the name of Kyle Taylor. He's an honor talent with FreightWave's Sonar team, but after wanting to try his hand in other content areas, he decided to start a completely separate podcast, which resulted in him reaching out to me so we could brainstorm and possibly collaborate in the future. And what resulted from that very candid conversation is we discuss different show formats, the interview styles of other podcasters we love, uh, distributing your content to social media, annoyances on LinkedIn, whether you should go niche with your show or go big, and so much more. I really loved this conversation because this is a chat from two folks that are in the trenches of creating content on a consistent basis. A lot of what you'll find out in the marketing and sales world, especially in the freight industry, is that a lot of people talk about these different things, but few of them are actively in the trenches. So this is a rare opportunity to sort of listen in on a brainstorming conversation, a brainstorming session from two folks that are in the trenches of creating content on a consistent basis. So if you're thinking about getting started in the world of podcasting, or you want some fresh new content ideas, this is going to be the episode for you. So so when people start to think about creating a podcast, one of the first things that they think they need is they need all of the best equipment. They need, you know, uh, they, they need a six month content plan. They need to figure out all of these things when I think the most important lesson is to just go, just start ripping episodes and just start hitting the ground running. And, and I think that that's where a lot of companies sort of mess up and a lot of just people who want to be hosts mess up is that you need those reps. And if you're in a situation where you're only going to get a certain amount of reps, with say freight waves um, or or any other company that you may be working with media wise, take the rest yeah. yourself. Uh, th- that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned doing radio broadcasting is they're only going to give you certain air times, certain time slots. And if you want to do more, if you want to do something different, then take those yeah. reps yourself because no one else is going to give them to you. I no, I agree, and and luckily there's like platforms out there, so like. I guess to luckily for any freight waves employee or people who get into that ecosystem, like you have now that once you get into it, it's, there's just an entire group of individuals who now will start following you and you start getting that content, which is always the, it's, you know, I call it clout chasing as well. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that gets like a bad rep, but like going into other people's sphere allows you to be able to capture some of the audience that you wouldn't have normally captured otherwise. And, and so there's a ton of value in doing that. And um, especially from like a, what are you going to talk about? Like that part of, of the podcasting experiences, I think people kind of get a little too boxed in to, okay, I have to talk about, and, and I think it's important to have a niche of what you're going to talk about, but feel free to talk about other different, you know, news that's going on in the world, sports that's going on in the world, things that you find interesting, because after a while, even when you launch a show, like people are going to start getting in the habit of tuning in for your perspective. Um, I think early on, I got caught up in just having interviews and, and feeling like I couldn't host a show by myself. Um, I think you might be in a a little bit of a flip flopped 
um, atmosphere where you're immediately going right into your perspective, which is great. Um, so there's, I think that there's pros and cons to both of, of getting interviews and, and speaking on your own, because a lot of people, I think once they start doing the interviews, they get scared to almost uh, do any show solo. They feel like they need that extra person in there. Right. And to your point, how you brought it up, a lot of people, I feel like think that they need this entire show type setup. Like I need the bright lights. I need the cameras. I need the the backdrop to feel like you're on a show where, you know, me hosting a show and just kind of got thrown into it, which was great. And, but like, I love the candidness of just being in your own environment. And I think it opens up, you know, more opportunity. It's like the podcast versus recorded like time segments and people you can actually get your thoughts out you can elaborate more on your thoughts where you know when you do have a you know 30 minutes feels like a long time until you're actually put on a timer and then you're like holy crap where did right. where did the 28 minutes go we got two minutes left to wrap this up and you you get caught up in that and i think that you know you you bring up a good point because if you look up uh, say if you're looking at a show rundown and it's an hour long and you think, Oh my God, what am I going to talk about for an hour? But it goes like that. And so I, that's why I say, you know, just don't put time constraints on yourself unless you're in a professional like broadcast setting where you have to earn your chops that way. If you're, there's a reason why like certain podcasts or like a Joe Rogan has a three hour long podcast. It's because he can take that entire show and then chop up different clips and then yep. use those clips in order uh, to create that distribution, that demand for his long form show. And he's using those clips to drive traffic to the full show. So that's what I try to do with all of my content is that I yep. want to, whether it's 30 minutes or an hour, maybe a little bit more, I'm trying to create it to where it's an hour long or maybe even longer, but then I still have those clips that I can use out on social media because I think the clips are more important than technically the show itself because otherwise it, you're not going to be able to build up that audience over time. No, I, yeah, 100% agree. And you're driving, especially depending on the platforms that you choose. So like I've, my exposure has been heavily weighted towards the LinkedIn space, which is great and all, um, but it does feel like there's some, like, you know, you, you have like the, the meme of like the different photos of you, my, me as a Facebook person, me as an Instagram, me as a LinkedIn. And so that's kind of how I've, I felt to a sense where actually I feel like on my Facebook and my link or in my Instagram, I'm more contained than how I am on my LinkedIn Yeah, because on my LinkedIn, I'm actually putting out content more consistently than I do on any other platform. And I think that now is the time to do that with LinkedIn. Uh, it's the platform where they want people, they want creators posting natively to their platform. So uploading those direct videos. Um, I don't know that you can upload audio files to it, but uploading videos has been great for me. And when I do the same thing or I try to replicate it, on other platforms, it doesn't perform nearly as well. And so for me right now, the majority of my leads, I get them from the majority of my podcast listeners, I get them from LinkedIn. And that's crazy. And that is it, it's the I I could foresee, you know, LinkedIn being at this peak for probably the next year. They do have a new CEO, so I'm a little worried or not worried, but I am curious as to what changes they're going to be making to the platform. Um, but I, with platforms like Instagram, even YouTube to an extent, I feel like those platforms are so saturated right now where you really have to 
try to find the the best, I guess, awareness platforms that that almost like LinkedIn, you can reach so many more people than if you post the same thing, maybe a slightly different way to Instagram. Um, it's just one of those things where it's you have to really dive into one or two, maybe three different social media networks and just let the other ones just sort of sit there. That that's what I do. I can't I don't have time to, you know, devote that kind of energy into like Instagram just uh they, they had an email that they sent out to an influencer. And they said, this is what can increase your engagement for your posts. And it was like 27 different things. Like you need to be uploading, you know, at least 10 stories a day. Um, you need to have a, an Instagram reel twice a week. Uh, you need to do this. You need to have, you know, three in feed posts. It was so many different things. And it's like, why even bother? You're already having, you know, a a slew of advertisement on the platform. Your engagement has already gone down. Why should I invest more of my time and energy into this platform when these other platforms are performing just as good, if not better? Right. And depending on what's your end goal. I mean, if the the traffic is trying to get more people towards my business than LinkedIn, based off of whatever business you have, obviously, if you're in the space that we're in where, you know, transportation is huge. Yeah, I... I'm not going to find a lead on on Facebook or on Instagram like I would on LinkedIn. Right. And and if I do, you know, what is the quality of that? Uh, because the demographic feels so different. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the one thing that that email kind of showcases is what people kind of forget about is it's just put out content. Right. Put out consistent content. Does like what you said? Doesn't matter if it's crisp, if it's clean. Just put it out and you'll figure it out. And if it's something that catches, like you start getting a lot of activity, then it'll make you want to do it more clean or want to do it more differently and try to adapt more in the future. Especially being on the platform and noticing what's working well and what isn't working well. Um, There are a few podcasts that I, I model after and the way that they do their clips is the reason I started doing my clips in the, the format that I do them. And, and one extra step that I took is, you know, most time, most of the time people are viewing this content on their mobile device. And so how much real estate, visible real estate can I take up on that device? And so that's why I do the super vertical uh, formats for my clips instead of the square format. Because if someone's viewing it on a mobile device, I want my video to take up the majority of that real estate. And so I oh. want it to capture that attention. So the vertical video or the, the horizontal video. I noticed that. I noticed with what you recreated with, uh, with Kevin and having the orange b- background being upwards instead of on the side. Yes. And I, I did that consciously because I want to, there was somebody else I think it was Robert Bain with, what is his, um, he works for Shipwell, I think he's a sales agent for them, but he started posting his own videos and it took up the entire screen of my phone. And I said, that's the new format I need to do. I need to take these horizontal videos and be able to transfer them into a vertical style format where it's, I don't want to say like it looks clickbaity because it kind of does, um, but I want to grab that attention. And then whenever they, I grab that attention, I want that clip to speak to, usually I have a little bit of text of what is talking about the topic. And then I always post, you know, check out the episode in the comments because for all these social media 
platforms, they want users to stay on their platform. So if you have a link, a third-party link that's going elsewhere, then they're less likely to promote that post in the feed. So that's why I always put it, say, in the comments. I know Facebook in particular got wise to that and they stopped allowing those posts to be seen as visibly. If you said, oh, we'll check out the link in the comments. Um, mm. But LinkedIn still allows that. So for now, that's that's my strategy. That's what I'm doing. If it changes in the future, I'm sure I could change something with the video. But I, I'm imagining that a lot of people are checking out LinkedIn via their phone. And so I want to take up as much real estate on the phone as possible. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So what, so when, like, for example, on this, we're recording this on Zoom. So what is some of the, what is something that maybe when you first started, you were using and then got to the point where you are now, where you're just putting out more content, you've just learned more that you've transitioned in more into more from like an editing standpoint? I, I, I think you mean like what my distribution process? Like, edit, like how you, how you cut up this clip, how you cut up your clips and, and what tools do you use? Do you pay for, do you have subscriptions or do you just use, I think there's a ton of free content out there or even just using some of the stuff on my Mac um, you could use, but uh, what tools do you use to at least just get it into a fashion so that you can post it? I use, I swear by this, but Camtasia, it's a C-A-M-T-A-S-I-A and it's, I'm actually using it right now. It's a screen recorder tool and it allows me to record meetings like this. Um, I can also record myself solo. I can do screen share and record it as well. It loads it once I'm done with this particular call, I'll hit stop on the record and then it'll automatically upload that project to Camtasia. And then within that platform, that's when I will edit it into a show. And then mm -hmm. I'll add in, you know, like intro music, outro music, um, things like that, which was a little bit of a learning curve. But yeah, compared to other tools like Audacity and other, you know, sound editing tools that are just too, they're too intricate for what I'm trying to do. So right. I prefer Camtasia because I can edit the audio. I can edit the video The the tools are easy to navigate. Um, I can just create my different clips. So once I have the full show of what I want, then I'll export that out. Then I'll start a new project using those same files. And so okay. that's when I'll take it and I'll cut it up into, I have um, these show assets. So I have a show assets folder and it has a background image. So that bright orange background image I created in Canva, which is a free tool. Um, Camtasia costs about 200 bucks, but I believe it's one time and you have it for the lifetime. Um, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's one time you pay that fee. They do have like a membership where you can pay them or a subscription fee where you can get additional like templates and things like that. I, I'm not there yet. Um, and I was spending a lot of money on editors. So I figured, well, I'm just going to learn how to do this myself. I can cut it up a lot better than what somebody else would because I know I know the social post that I want to create and the video clip that's going to match with that. And it's difficult to communicate that to an editor. Um, so that's why I just started learning it myself. And I saved probably about 150 bucks, 200 bucks off of every show doing it this way. And I have more content to send out. 
Um, so once I created the the show assets, which includes the background image um, with the logo on it, and then I also have an in screen image, which is just like a little movie file, and you can do that in Canva too. Um, mm. So that's a separate file that I put on at the end of each clip, just telling people to go to Digital Dispatch website to see more. Um, and then after I have that show assets folder created, then I can use that original clip and it's just like a copy and paste. And just to make sure, you know, everything lines up correctly. Um, I'm not adding any more sound to it. Usually, um, it's usually just the, the title of what I want to say, the background image, and then the end clip, which you don't necessarily need the end clip. I think it's just a little nice touch at the end. Um, but as long as the clip is good, then the rest of it can be pieced together pretty effectively using free tools like Canva. Okay. Yeah, no, that's something that I, I was starting to struggle with. So like, so I, I had, I've done two shows so far that are kind of on my own. And that was like the biggest learning curve where I was like, oh my gosh, I am, feels like taking like the entire day to edit this, cut it and then get it out into production where before I was really used to just taking this copy and paste, throw it into LinkedIn or I, I was using, what was this app called? Um, there's like a, it's called, Oh, loom. Hmm. There's, that was something that I was starting to use that, or that I had used for some sales projects because it was like really easy for me to share my screen and it was free. And then it just, I could just download it and I can send a link. Um, but I lose out on some of the editing qualities of it. And so that's what, you know, really for people that are getting into it, it almost like makes you fearful of getting into it. Cause like, I look up some videos and it's like, oh yeah, you can edit the audio. Here's the audio clip. You put it to the video and then you can take, so you can edit their auto audio and your audio and make sure it links up. Right. And I'm like, what, like it's with no audio background or no editing experience that that looks like extremely scary right. when, you're, when you're starting out. And that's why I always like to start out with what I like to call pillar <laughs> content. So the shows that you're already recording, all you need is that show file. And then you upload that show file to a program like Camtasia. And then that is one track. And you can add in extra music. I, I usually like to do, so say for, for put that coffee down, um, what I will do is I'll listen to the whole show. Then I'll write mm -hmm. down timestamps and I'll write down when they start, when they end about, you know, a rough estimate and get certain clips. I'll try to get two to three, like four to five minute clips. And then I try to get at least one clip that's a minute or under because then I can use that on other social platforms like Twitter, Instagram, things like that. Um, then it, you're not beholden to their IGTV rules, which nobody watches IGTV. Really. Um, right. So it's trying to get those clips in the best social media format as possible. Um, so the timestamps helps a ton because then that makes your editing process a lot more smoother. And oh then, yeah. I've, I've had, I got frustrated quite a bit <laughs> when I was like, oh, it's right at this point, but, and, and I end up having to write it down after I like messed up a couple of times, which ended up taking like 15 minutes. <laughs> it does take a little bit of a process, but I feel like I I've, I've learned enough and I've really only been doing Camtasia for two months now. So it really is. It starts great with the first like pillar piece of content. And then from there, it's really honing in on the editing. And I feel like Camtasia makes that learning curve a lot easier because 
there's only, for example, like the video. If I want to turn that into a podcast, all I have to do is edit it in Camtasia with a couple different noise tools. Like they remove the background noise and it's a one click ad. Um, they can compress the audio. So if one person is a little bit louder than the other person, they'll automatically do that. Um, so these are just one button clicks where other programs, it would take a little bit more intuitiveness to know how to do that. So Camtasia makes it super easy to do it. I know another tool that is apparently pretty good at this is Descript. And that's a tool that I'm going to try out in the future. My only issue with Descript is that if you want to record, it only does screen recording. And then a, your your face is like a little small like circle in the right-hand corner. I didn't like that part. I, I need to be able to record um, an intro, I need to be able to jump into, you know, showing my screen and things like that, and then get rid of the screen sharing and then back to, you know, sort of full face, full picture, um, and have that option. Descript did not have that full face option. And I couldn't record natively in the app unless it was audio only. So that was kind of a deal breaker for me. I suspect that they're going to add that in the future. Um, but I do know that they're auditing, like, not auditing, but editing tools are really good. Um, you can edit out like all of your ums and likes and things like that. You can do that automatically with Descript. Really? So that wow. is like, it, they have a, cause I did a test run and I uploaded a video to it that I had already recorded and it will go through and it will transcribe the video for you, which is great. And it's not a hundred percent. So you do have to go in there and clean up some stuff. Um, might much like captions whenever you add captions to a video. Um, and then after that, you'll be able to go in there and the tool will automatically search through all of the text and find the ums, find the likes, find uh super long pauses, and they'll be able to clean up all of that with just like a couple different clicks. Um, so that was a really good, I, I think a really good feature that Camtasia does not have. So probably in the future, if I haven't, I, I had already purchased a captioning tool for my video. So uh, in the future, if, if I have to renew that, you know, say a year from now, then Descript will probably be the next purchase for me because they did make it super easy to edit out those, those types of things um, where Camtasia does not, you can edit those out, but you would have to find them manually. Gotcha. Wow. That's what, that's like a whole new world that I wasn't even thinking about. Thank you for, for those two little value adds there. And that's what, you know, I think once you get into it, you start noticing the, like the small details that you wouldn't normally or you didn't think about when you got into it. Like I posted my first video to YouTube and I was having issues posting a 45 minute long video and it was like getting halfway through it. And it was like there was an error coming up each time. That was like a simple add on. Like I just had to verify my account. I just oh. never done it like a two factor verification with them. And because it was longer than 15 minutes, they needed a two-factor authorization. So literally, I just put my phone number in. It sent me a text. I validated it. And then, oh, yeah, now I can. I literally, I was spending like 30 minutes. And I was like, why is this not allowing me to upload it? And because I wanted to put the link in the, in the comments. And I couldn't post. Literally, I had my post ready to go. And I just was waiting on the YouTube to, to download it. And, yeah, as soon as I did the two-factor, like... Like <laughs> so oh how are God. you are are they are are you talking about starting a separate show or you're wanting to edit the show yeah, this, that you yeah separate have? show okay yeah gotcha. I have a, 
Yeah, I have a separate show now. I'm still working on the name. I have two names. So, but I started a show called Real Sales and which is just a sales driven. It's, I hate to, I, I always have to preface it when I'm talking about FreightWave stuff because it's definitely a lot different than put that coffee down when I say it's, oh, it's a sales podcast. And my team's like, well, we, we technically have that. And I was like, yeah. So, you know, the, my main focus is just like enterprise sales, you know, different strategies that I have found that have worked for me, you know, cause I went from like a broker, a transactional broker, really just doing, you know, $20 in margin a pop on each margin to where I'm at here with freight waves, where I'm selling to the largest customer base that we have. Mm-hmm. And so that, that kind of transition, I've, I've felt there was a need and I've talked to enough people where it's like, I see things on LinkedIn and I'm like, great. Like, you know how to be successful. You should set a calendar. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's I've been, I've been that beaten over the head with that a thousand times. What I really would like it is like tangibles. What are tangible things that I can make incremental changes to my process where it's like, how do I listen better? What are techniques that maybe other people use? Because I come across problems and I'm not, I can't be the only one who comes across these Mm -hmm. same problems but I hate the sales kind of monologue that's always like feels like a consultant that's never sold before that's telling me how to sell. Yes. And and so that's that's kind of the basis for it. You kind of hit the nail on the head where you there has to be more specifics. There has to be more of this is exactly how I do it. And you can take into you can take into account these lessons. But this is learning from actual experience, not, you know, a business coach who's never actually run a business. Yeah. Or so, or someone who may be in leadership for the past five years, it's, you know, there's, there's different, you know, it's, it's like looking at social medias. It's like someone who's, who's a consultant on, on like MySpace. All right. That's awesome. You, you knew how to work MySpace and their algorithm. There's five other applications since that, you know, 12 years ago that that was big. Um, And so that's where, I mean, look at us now, Zoom meetings are, are how people connect on the sales side. So, you know, where we were used to being in person and talking face to face, that's completely different. So how do you, how do you be able to listen more on that front? Whereas before you could interject with someone, but now with that, we're on video, people can talk over each other. No one noticed. Right. (laughs) It's, it's definitely, it's, it's a learning curve. I think for a lot of people where it's, you have to adjust and you have to want, but once you learn some of the fundamentals, you can transfer those skills to different platforms. So yeah. if you are in a, an environment, and I'm sure you know this, where you know you have a producer in your ear and they're counting down a few more seconds, but you really want to get that point in, it's a different environment than a podcast where you can fully flesh out that idea and you're not under any time constraints. Um, right. I still think that you know both formats are great because the 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 professional freight waves broadcast is is going to be fantastic for awareness credibility yeah. resume builder all that good stuff um but then that is almost to me like the hook and then yeah. i want to drive that audience to my own platforms where i i have a more creative freedom i can you know possibly flip this into something that is uh, a little bit more profitable. It's a side hustle right now. So it's one of those things where it's an investment on my part. Um, but there's definitely lessons to be learned from both the podcast perspective and the broadcast perspective where you can keep those two things separate. But also a few of those things can can definitely be joined strategy wise. And I think it's difficult for 
Um, maybe a lot of businesses out there that haven't taken that leap yet to look at, you know, a company like Freight Waves and be like, well, I can't produce video and content like that. And it's like, yes, you can. Right. You have your cell phone. Yeah, you can absolutely right. produce that same content and and do it on your own time and invest in yourself. But a lot of people just don't have the courage to start. And I think that that is really where the golden opportunity is right now, especially in logistics, where there aren't that many content creators. And it's an opportunity where, you know, you can be a big fish in a little pond before all of these other people start joining in. I've seen it over the past year. It's gone from like three people who are making podcasts and videos in the logistics space to a couple dozen now. Right. Right. And, and, you know, it's almost like, like Tiger Woods and Charlie Woods, like you Tiger Woods been, you know, that's been like my freight waves where Charlie Woods is like my podcast where you don't want to be upholded to the name freight waves and have to rely on, okay, I need freight waves in order to do it. Whereas like, what if something, you know, something could happen tomorrow and let's say I'm not with freight waves anymore. Well, that show's gone. And so that's where you're limited in the sense of what you can do content. You can say, or even if you do have a good show, that's like, like freight was allows you to do whatever you want. That's focused towards transportation. But as soon as you leave, you can't take the cameras home with you. Right. Um, you know, I did take some lighting and some stuff, so <laughs> I got some best, you know, use, use everything you have to your advantage. Right. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's the tough part and why I have decided to do this. And also the content creators in the LinkedIn space are weak in my opinion, where like, there's really not a ton of quality. Mm-mm. There is a ton of, I feel like car salesy kind of like, uh, of creation where I don't, it's just, it doesn't connect with me. And I like to use myself as like the example for our generator, like the millennial generation. It's like, it's, if that doesn't appeal to me, then there's probably thousands upon thousands of people that that doesn't relate to. There are so many people on there that follow like the, and I'm sorry if you're a fan of him, but like Grant Cardone, like the 10X method, (laughs) it drives me insane. But so many people in the logistics space eat that up. And it's like, this is not practical. He's not creating this content. He is scamming you. And I I can't stand that level of, of just hacky content and it's like no we need to be able to provide real world examples this is what's working this is my experience and i think that that's the the differentiator between you know people who are just talking about it and people who are actively in the trenches doing it and so you I, i i feel like from a creator perspective you have to be in the trenches doing it if you're going to talk about it so i i i very i stress it a lot to even like, you know, clients and things like that, that if you're in the trenches, you already have the knowledge to share with your audience. So why don't you get out there and share it? It's just that fear of being on camera, that fear of equipment, and it holds a lot of people back. So the the side effect of that is the Grant Cardones of the world that or, you know, logistics shows that are talking about sports. And it's like, I don't go to you for sports. I I don't want to hear your breakdown of you know, the NFL playoffs, I just want, you know, mention it, water cooler talk, sure. But that shouldn't be a central part of your show. I'm coming to right. you for logistics sales advice. I'm coming to you for logistics marketing advice. I'm not coming to hear your take on the weekend's games, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. And, you know, Grant Cardone, it's funny. I, I liked Grant Cardone up until I watched his podcast with the wolf on the wolf stand. Yes. And when I watched it on the wolf stand, I was like, Oh my God, he got like exposed. both of them. Like <laughs> I, why am I even thinking about taking sales advice from these guys? Because I'm just not in that super transactional style of business that they just feel like they ooze. And, and, and so that's, that's, you know, point one that, that I have now, the second, you know, I feel like the content creators need to be a little bit more vague hmm. because the, the, at least in the transportation space, they're so specific towards transportation where like, I feel like they pigeonhole themselves to certain topics hmm. that they feel like they can't reach. And which was kind of the reason why I was like, Oh, sales, because sales can reach so many different industries and verticals. And we can talk generally about the same things. Like my audience can be different. My demographic can expand and the guests that I could potentially have on can expand as well, because now I don't have to have someone who's in the transportation space, but these pains that we have cross verticals all the time. And so I feel like that would, you know, clout chasing, I can go out and, you know, connect with other people who have these content in different verticals and, and, be able to have this unified message, even though maybe you're not in transportation. No, I, I I definitely agree, especially if that pain point is there, because then that person can speak to that pain point and bring a fresh perspective. Like when I go and I look at um, website redesign ideas, I'm not really looking in the transportation space because a lot of them look the same. I'm looking right. outside of the transportation space to get that inspiration. So I definitely feel you on on that front. I feel like there's a way, and I, uh, who is it? Um, token CEO, Erica Nardini. She oh, I love that. So that, I started watching that like a month ago. Love it. Her podcast is fantastic. And a lot of that, the way that she formats her show is something that I'm going to model after because the reason I started listening to it is because she had a great interview guest on. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to check this out because I was interested in the interview guest. And so when I started listening to it, she doesn't just jump right into the interview. She talks about different news topics that's related to the media space and goes in and gives her perspective. And I thought that yeah. that was a great, like a brilliant approach because then she segues into the interview. And I ended mm -hmm. up now when I go to listen to her podcast, I want to listen for her take instead of the interview guest. So it's kind of flip-flopped in that respect where she got my attention with the interview a guest, but then I'm now coming back to hear her perspective on, you know, the media landscape and sales landscape and publishing and all that good stuff. Yeah, and that actually plays into another topic that I'm going to be talking about on a show soon, which is the benefits of slowing down. Hmm. Erica's got a very slow tone. She's very methodical about what she's saying, but she's not a fast talker. Even when she gets excited, she's not a fat. I mean, she's just got her tone and it's the way it is, which allow it, it allows the other person to kind of relax mm. and get into an area where they can be more comfortable, which is what I see, you know, hinder a lot of sales reps because you get excited. You get into this mode where like, you know, it's like if I came to you and I was like, well, I just don't really know how to market appropriately. My website seems bad. Like, uh, and it's like buzzword, buzzword, buzzword of like, I can help that. I can help that. And you get so excited and then you start talking and it's like, 
fast. And it's, and so I've been, ta- I've been uh, reading Chris Voss's book, um, never split the difference. And that's one thing that he brings up. And he's like, you know, when you're negotiating people who talk faster, naturally, you naturally want to combat them. You want to like disprove what they're saying. And that's one thing that after I read that piece, I started realizing, okay, who, you know, one of the guys I look up to on our sales team, slowest talker on our team. And I, I look Erica, Erica's podcast, really slow, not really slow, but you know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's level. It's, it doesn't hit any peaks and really uh, in deep valleys. And so that was something that I'm, you know, I try to slow down because I can easily get excited and start talking real fast. And then people tune out or I, they just only hear the first couple things I say. I, I, I'm the same way. It's somebody has told me before, I think it was our station manager. He was like, you need to slow down when you talk. And so I try to subconsciously remember that, but sometimes it's very difficult, but you, you do bring up a good point about studying other shows, studying the hosts, how they ask questions. Dan Patrick, I think, is a a great example. He is the best interviewer that I have ever listened to. And he never starts out an interview with, hey, how you doing? He always starts out and he jumps right into a question, usually from the show that they've already discussed. um, You know, what's your favorite Nickelodeon show? Um, that's how he'll start off an interview. He doesn't start off with, Hey, how you doing? How's the weather? That sort of bland conversation. He jumps right into it. So I'd like to take the shows that I particularly like and deconstruct what I like about them. And, and Erica is a great point that you bring up. I think Dan Patrick is another good example. Um, but taking those examples of the people who are in the trenches every day is, is something that, I like to pick and choose a little bit from each category in order to, you know, shape the show that I'm doing now and in the future, because you're not going to have a perfect show whenever you first start out. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they first start podcasting, expect. And this the complete yeah. opposite. You have to get those reps. And once you get those reps, both solo with a co-host, with a guest, then you'll start to get into a good groove. And if you don't keep practicing those skills, you lose them. And to think about like Erica, capitalizing on the audience she wasn't like a content creator she came in to try to scale barstool and try to get them in a way so that they can try to extract the most value to potentially be purchased because they only own about like 30 to 20 percent of the company now anyways oh wow i didn't know it was that Uh, much well so when they yeah so he i think he sold off to the churning group at like 55%. He, he lost majority when he sold initially to the churning group, which got him to New York. And then they sold additional 33, 36% to Penn. But some of that came from the churning group as well. So there's only a small sliver, probably I would say a third that they, that at least that Dave still owns. Hmm. And so they still have, but it's, it's all about the content. No one's going to touch them in their content. And that just shows exactly to your example. If you just go out and start doing it, you start getting the community. If your community first, which is what Barstool has done a great job. I think Freight Waves has done a great job with that as well. When you're putting the community first, you can do anything and they're going to like it. Right. As long as your mindset is, will our community enjoy it? And that's, it's one of those things that you only learn by doing. 
And right. I, I have created content for more than 10 years, but logistics specific content is something I'm fairly new to. So when I launched a few different logistics courses, it kind of fell flat on its face. And so that was a learning experience for me that I have to do a better job at listening to the community and what they want and what they're telling me that they want because it's it's constantly changing. So if I if my decisions are powered by the community, then it it will lead to, you know, better sales in the future, it will lead to better opportunities in the future, but I have to serve them first. And and that was yeah. a big lesson that I learned is is when you think that the sales are just going to be rolling in because you've, you know, been blogging and creating content for so long. But then when it actually comes time to purchase, you have to be able to switch that skill set from content creation to to sales. And I think that that's where a lot of, of gaps still exist within the industry and not just from, you know, selling freight, but it's selling software, selling tools. There's so much tech that has entered into the landscape that, a lot of people are using techniques that the brokers use, you know, cold calling 100 people a day. And that just doesn't work in other mediums within the same industry. So it's really paying attention and listening to what is working. Right. No, I, I love that. And so when from a content perspective, you know, what do you think about being controversial or something in LinkedIn that I've noticed is that everyone's so, it's not a bad thing is that everyone's so happy. And everyone just wants to talk about the easy stuff. And God forbid I comment on there disagreeing with someone. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's things like that that I see, I don't see very often that kind of drives me in, insane. Like I post something, like someone posts, oh, look, you can do X, Y, and Z. And everyone's like, oh, agreed. Oh, great, great topic. Oh, that's awesome to post. I even noticed it on the, uh, the algorithm that LinkedIn uses for recommended responses. Yes. So that like, is so if you go to com, yeah, if you go to comment it on it, it's like, love it. Enjoy this. Like great topic, like all these different things. And it's like, well, what if I disagree? Right. And, and so that's something that I've recently started doing me and another gentleman, um, where we just, we just troll people sometimes, <laughs> not like intentionally, but just because it's like, I don't agree with that. Why is everyone agreeing with this? This makes no sense. And like one topic that, for example, that we brought up, someone was, it was another big show and they were having someone on there that had discussed um, getting a raise. And they're like, just in case it doesn't get brought up, here's some, here's some, here's a nugget. And it was like, oh, well, you can't account for what you did in the past to bring it into a raise now. So pretty much whatever you did previously means nothing. It's what you're doing now that you're trying to provide value on. And I was like, well, no, but, and of course I comment and no one says anything. And another, my buddy comments and no one says anything. And it's like, but you get three other people who are like, great topic. It's like, well, when you are negotiating your value, what if you did something to increase your value? And the way she had written it was, oh, well, they should just promote you. If you're valuable enough, they will promote you. And I'm like, that's a lie. We all know that doesn't happen. A million people get passed over on promotions all the time. Or what if a, the position doesn't exist? You're in a new company and okay, there's was zero managers before. Now we have two like, okay, they're just going to create jobs. And if you put yourself in a situation, then you'll be there or you put yourself in an opportunistic situation where you'll be there to capitalize on it. Then yeah, you're going to have to push. But yeah, I was like, 
So, There's so much positivity. I hate it. It's, it's definitely uh, there. There. I don't know if you're on Twitter at all, but on Twitter, that's where a few of us go to make fun of the people that are on LinkedIn, and and it's sort of like a circle jerk where everybody's just congratulating each other, and there's not enough honesty being spread. There was somebody had made an off color comment and, you know, made said something to the effect of I, you know, just got onto the scene and I was and and I made a post separate post about it that no, 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 I have been blogging since 2007. I've been live streaming since 2014. This isn't I didn't just pop up out of nowhere. And so a lot of people resonated with that because it's one of those things that is brutally honest, you're you're not gonna start a podcast tomorrow and get a bunch of leads knocking down your door next week. You have to build credibility. And I think you build credibility through being honest. And if you're not going to do that, then why are we even here? Because you can get all of the motivational content that you want, inspirational. And I get that people need to hear that sometimes, but those motivational quotes aren't going to do the work for you. So I'm all for more transparency and more honesty especially within the LinkedIn community, because I think a lot of people need to hear it. It's not just all butterflies and rainbows. You have to put in real work and you're going to create content that's going to suck. You're going to create content that's going to do really well. And you have to be able to balance it out and find the the mojo to keep on pushing through, even when you have a bad show. Yeah. Or a 15 bad year overnight, <laughs> right? You're, you're a 15 year overnight sensation, right. you know, it's like- it's- that doesn't happen. Like usually with any startup, I think the average age of a successful startup founder is like 45 years old. Somebody, yeah. a lot of people will think that, oh, well, they just lucked into it or maybe they were born with money. It's like, no, the market will tell you what they like and what they don't like. The internet will tell you what it likes and what it doesn't like. You're not, you know, getting shadow banned in the algorithm, you know, because you're a woman, you're getting shadow banned in the algorithm because your content sucks. Like that's, yeah. that's the reality of it. You need to be better. And some posts are going to outperform others for a variety of different reasons. And if you're in the content game, you need to be able to realize that and not be so sensitive to it. But I think a lot of people, once they get on LinkedIn, they, they just want everybody to pat them on the back. And that's just not business. That's not real world. So I would say go for it. Talk about it because there yeah. are a few people that are exposing some of these quote unquote LinkedIn gurus. Um, Mike Winnett is one of them. I'm trying to think of his channel name. Let me see if I can find it really quick. But he is always shitting on people on LinkedIn. And it's hilarious to watch because he's, you can tell that some of those profiles are a little bit spammy. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely something that I think that needs to be called out more. So if you feel a certain... Now that you bring it up, there's, um, what was her name? Is it, was it Natasha? There was like some chick, blonde girl that got huge on LinkedIn and she started doing almost like the Gary V type of like going and being a consultant towards like LinkedIn. And God, I, I think I know say, now that you bring that up, I haven't seen her in months, actually. I don't know if I follow her anymore. Um, I, I could have just unfollowed her and I got, you know, <laughs> very salty one day and, and unfollowed her. But um <laughs> But yeah, she, there was there was definitely people pre-COVID that have been there that aren't there anymore. And that's probably the biggest thing that I think if you have something valuable to say and you know how to say it, that's just keep going. Right. Because LinkedIn just has so much of this like fluff that if you have something direct to say, 
direct to say, and you can say it eloquently, it's going to make such a big difference. And I think that's where this, this platform is really going and why I really thought this is when I need to start breaking out. Yes. And, and I would say a lot of the sales content that I see on LinkedIn, especially within the industry is very motivational and it's not very practical. So if you can bring some of that honesty and authenticity. This is my experience. This is where you're wrong. This is where I would push back a little bit. Um, I've said that on on to a few different people. And I think that that's sort of like the Twitter personality coming out of me. But I feel like that's where you you earn your, your stripes is on more of a, I want to say tougher platform like Twitter. Um, but I definitely, tough. It, I feel like it's helped me a ton, but it also probably affects me mental health wise, um, to where I don't keep it on my phone. I don't, um, I, I go through periods where I keep it on my phone. And I delete it because I feel like I'm spending too much time there. It's affecting me like, uh, just motivational wise. So there is like a fine line to walk. Uh, but at the same time, there's, it's definitely for LinkedIn. I would say it's probably 65% fluff and not enough honesty. So if you're seeing a gap there, I would absolutely capitalize on on that and and push back on the fluff that people are posting, especially in the logistics community, because the demand is there. People are craving this type of content. And so if you can be the one to provide it to them through your own real world experience, then that's going to be that's an that's an easy gap to fill for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's selfish as well, because that's that was my number one thing. I was like sales podcasts. If I can talk about sales podcasts or my sales strategies, and I'm wrong in certain things, then I can fix it, and it directly hits my bottom line because I'm getting better at the sales process and thinking about how I approach my product to new prospects. And so it's a never-ending cycle of like, okay, I'm constantly in a sales cycle with someone. And if I'm talking about this, then I can just com- c- uh, continue to develop my craft. And then it comes back sales process. And then we're talking about sales process. And it's just, and that's why I, I, I think it, I'm, I'm super excited about what I'm, what I'm going to be pushing out. And luckily to be in the freight waves community enough to have content creators like you and other people that I can kind of collaborate with to really slingshot this into an area and fortunate for freight waves as well, that I have my own show segment with them as well. So why haven't you started it? Are you just getting it started now or? or Yeah, I had my first episode go live last week. Nice. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So it's, uh, so that was the first, so I'm playing with the, the YouTube, like how, what thumbnail I should probably use, how the title. And I heard you talk about that earlier today. Uh, you know, playing with that strategy. And so that's, it's just good. It's, and I'm fortunate that I'm on a, a dry January. So I'm going completely sober this whole month. Nice. And so like I did a bunch of stuff this week and I was like, man, I, I usually, I have a friend base here that we, it's like religious. We'd go to brunch every Sunday. Mm-hmm. We go to the same spot and it's the same group of like, you know, eight people and we would all go. And now I'm like, well, what do I do now? Right. <laughs> I did, I did a lot of like cord management with my desk. So now I have all this <laughs> space underneath my desk, <laughs> but, but yeah, I know it's a perfect timing for it that I was putting out this content too, because now I can do a lot of recordings over the weekend where I would be hurting, um, before. That's cool. Cause I think you, you hit on a good note because December is usually so crazy with events and holidays, things going on. January is like the perfect time 
to really get your ducks in a line, not just personally, but professionally too. And, and yeah. launching a new show is, is no easy feat, but it's also one of those things that, um, like you, you have to show a level of commitment to, like if your audience expects a new episode from you on a certain day of the week, really being committed to that and, and delivering on that. If you take a week off or if you take, you know, a couple weeks off, which is perfectly understandable, but record two episodes the week before, um, repurpose, use meetings like this. Um, that you can create additional content for and, and create additional content around. Um, so yeah. I think that that's where, you know, there are still a few gaps missing when it comes to the lo- just overall creation space, but especially in logistics where you could go missing. Yeah. There really is no rhyme or reason. And that sort of falls on, you know, people just learning. And so if if you're going to go for it and let it rip, then, yeah. you know, you got to be able to to show that you're improving along the way, too. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and 2020 was a big year for like my content creation. So like I started with Sonar like February of 2020 oh, wow. and then we got into COVID and then there was like this fun shirt Friday, Kyle, that was like, I was, I was big. It was like every Friday I was wearing like a Hawaiian shirt and then we were working from home. So we're all zooming. And so, it, but it was a very positive specific. And then that kind of got like bland because it was like, it was what it was like when you're you're supposed to hit it every friday the moment you miss people are like oh where'd you go and i'm like i don't feel like being happy today i just had three clothes lost and like i just wasted like 500 dollars on something that was stupid like i don't want to be happy right now but then there's that aspect of like it forced me to do stuff and and then i kind of got into some freight specific content and then I was just off the grid a little bit for like four months because I almost let fear mm-hmm. seep into my head where like I, I didn't record something for like two weeks. And then I was like, uh, but I don't really know what to say. Do people are people going to like it? And, and to the point where I finally had like this epiphany over like Christmas where I was like, who gives a shit? Like put it out. Try not to be so focused towards one thing because you need to be able to pivot. You don't want to be like, okay, I'm a, oh, Kyle's creating a marketing channel now. It's like, try to be kind of in your realm, but don't like pigeonhole yourself to like, I'm just going to put content out for brokers. Right. That gets old. There's only so many props that brokers have. And there's a few out there. And if this segment finds the light of day on LinkedIn, I'm sorry to those people who'd have those great. (laughs) those those broker channels but i read half of them and i'm like same thing what i said at the beginning make a schedule you know write write down your goals like thank you i appreciate like (laughs) it's it works itself into two ways because i think when you first start out with a podcast i think the knit the more niche you start out the better because then you mm-hmm. define that audience and then you can start allowing yourself room to breathe. Um, yeah. I think for me, I, I this is my second podcast that I've started up because I had another one for years and that's just where I sent everybody no matter what kind of content was there. And it could be sports, it could be entertainment, it could be uh, business. It, it really was sort of like a hodgepodge. And I think I tried to be too many things to too many people. And it's almost like that shiny object syndrome where you're, you're in one groove for a little bit and then something else catches your attention. It's almost like, you know, new social media profiles, like a clubhouse that, that pops up and it's like, well, should I get on clubhouse? And it's like, 
no, let's wait for some of these things to mature first because we can always choose to take that path in the future. But I think yeah. for now, it, it might be smart to identify your audience, but then still allow yourself that flexibility to expand in the future. Because if you start wide and then try to go narrow, it doesn't work quite as well as if you start narrow and then go wide. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I, that's perfect. Um, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, can't repurpose that any other way. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's a clip. I'm going to write down that, that timestamp. <laughs> Oh, okay. Perfect. What I need to figure out next is like how to not look, I have my, I have my light and I have it on the most like yellow setting possible. I feel there's, I forget there's like a me, there's something uh, that hit like, um, Facebook back in the day, but it was like, I'm so pale. Um, the moment I turn my light on, it just makes me so pale. That's, I um, used to have a Divi light, but I stopped using it for that exact reason. And now I have a, just sort of a makeshift setup where I have a blanket covering my window and then I have these light strips, which I'm not sure if you, exactly if you can see, but they kind of line up against oh, the okay. frame of the window and I can change that color. Um, I remember when I first started oh, doing nice. the put, put that coffee down, I had purple lights on and they said, no, we're, we're going to need you to change those lights. But still on my personal videos, I like to keep it purple. Um, but then on all of the other content that I do, that's, I guess, a little bit more professional is having the white lights. So I would highly advise for the strip lights compared yeah. to like the Divi lights. Yeah. Cause the Divi light is almost like too harsh. Yeah. Cause like this, I, this is fine, but I have to rely, I have like a big curved monitor. So it's a big LG and, um, which gives me good light. Yeah. That's um, but it too. also like you forget that your computer screen, you're broadcasting usually from a webcam, your computer screen is lighting you too. So you don't necessarily yeah. need all those extra lights. Yep. No, exactly. And if it's a sunny day, I won't use it all the time, but like today it was like raining or like after, if I start recording after five o'clock, I need to turn that thing on because it gets dark so quick. Right. That's been the biggest thing is that to your point, I'm going to try to figure out how to, you know, what content I should go heads on just one, just myself recording and then keep and then have it. Cause I, I'm going to have a ton of people. I already have a lineup of people that I have scheduled mm -hmm. already. And, and you brought up a great point of like not being reliant on, you know, having a person to talk with. Um, but I'll have to kind of sit down and noodle on that of what's content that you would like from yourself. And then what's content that you could definitely pull out of someone else. And that's where I would, I would circle back to the Erica Nardini example where she does yeah. a little bit of both. And if the interview is a little bit weak, because to be honest, we, not that many people have media experience in this space. So if the interview is a little bit weak, you start off strong with your own views on certain, maybe hot topics of the week or something, and then yeah. dive right into the interview. And if people stick around, they stick around, but ultimately you know, I, I was given advice uh, a few years ago from the radio broadcast team, and they said, ultimately, people are tuning in to your show to hear your perspective. So you don't don't try to be reliant on having an interview guest provide that key point. Um, really focus on on bringing in guests to really build your audience because they're coming on in order to take advantage of your audience and you're go you're inviting them on to take advantage of their audience. So it's kind of like a I scratch my back, you scratch yours, um, or yep. vice versa. One of those. I said probably said that yep. wrong. No, that's that. 
Either way, I it, I knew exactly what you're saying. <laughs> so it's it's one so. of those things. I think it could work out well in a variety of ways, but you'll figure it out. Um, you're yeah. already on your way, and you already have vastly more experience than anybody else, like jumping into the game right now. So sounds like you're already on your way. <laughs>